freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Salk. Brock Ewart is my hero. Jay Buter just punched me in the kidney. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studio. On Seattle Sports. What we're going to do, you are a man of doesn't really work that way, Sherm. This is a show that has my name on it. It kind of does, though. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen and Ballard. Now here are your hosts, Brock Ewart and Mike Salk. Hello! This is fun. We're getting to talk a ton of baseball today as uh, Full Squad is in the building and reported for duty down in Peoria. So we're talking a lot of baseball. And I got some football stuff for you guys today as well. Uh, let's see. Brady Henderson's going to be in today at 745, uh, filling in for Brock. And uh, 830, all you draft Knicks out there, everybody getting ready for late April. Uh, we'll have Matt Miller, our guy from ESPN, NFL draft scout from uh, from ESPN, will join us. Talk through uh, his his two-round mock. We talked through the first round, uh, I think, when it came out. But I don't even think I mentioned much of what that was in the second round. Because you know who he had the Seahawks taken in the second round? Hendon Hooker, the quarterback out of Tennessee, who's like 30 years old. He's 25, but still. So, yeah, so that's something I want to ask him about. Of course, he's got Tyree Wilson at number five. Everybody seems to. He's the one who had them going Jackson Smith and Jigba at uh, at 20. And then in the second round, Hendon Hooker and I think Brian Bressy, the uh, the big uh, defensive tackle. So I, it's, it was an interesting draft. So I'm I am uh, I am excited to talk to him. We'll do that at at, uh, at eight thirty this morning. But as I said, I was I spent a lot of my weekend just if there was Mariner content, I was there for it. And so four things sort of jumped out to me. Number one, consistency. We talked a little bit about this uh, at the beginning. They are going to be basically the same team as last year. It's not a lot of oper- We haven't said that very often. During the time that that at least that I've been here for the last, what is it, 14 years or so, uh, I got here in 2008. There haven't been a lot of seasons where you're like, yeah, actually, mostly the roster is a lot like last year because of natural turnover, because most years they weren't good enough or even close to it. And so there were like a lot of moves. Sometimes the core would stay the same, but generally that core was older. This is a young nucleus that is all together. Kelnick actually talked about that. He was asked sort of about fitting in and his friends on the team, but he ended up sort of inadvertently getting to that point. Yeah. Uh, you know, the good thing is we have a lot of the same guys as last year. I think that's really exciting for everybody because we already have some history. And then the new guys that are here, I know a lot of guys in that clubhouse already know them, so I think they're going to fit right in. Um, but that's the biggest thing is being able to have some sort of a connection with your teammates because – those are the those are the best. You can have all the talent in the world, but if you can't be connected, you're not going to last long. Well, and I think he's absolutely right about that. And and Kelnick, I think, gets a bad rap for this, by the way. I don't mean to make this about him. I know we just spent a half hour talking Kelnick. I think he gets a bad rap. People seem to think that there's some sort of Jared Kelnick issue with him and teammates. I have not found that to be the case, nor have I ever heard Ty anything France like that. Gatorade thing last year. Yeah, that was absolutely overblown. He's perfect. Did you see him at the end? That should at least be, you know, dispelled by watching him in the celebration at the end of the year. Yeah, he was definitely in the mix of the locker room. Uh, hardcore. <laughs> he looked like he knew his way around a beer bong. Let's all take a deep <laughs> breath on pretending Jared Kelnick is not like a guy who can fit in and have fun. It looked like he was perfectly capable of it. So, yeah, the the, the chemistry, right, is is sort of part two. They've got it already. It's, it's something for them to build on. 
And I don't know. I, did you watch any of that video of uh, of Logan Gilbert and Cal Raleigh that the Mariners tweeted out? It's awesome. Hilarious. It is legitimately hilarious. So the premise of this video is they put headphones, you know, noise canceling headphones on uh, on uh, Logan Gilbert, and he's gotta he's gotta figure out what it phrase Cal Raleigh is saying just by reading his lips. Do you want to hear a little? Yeah, I don't know if it'll translate to radio, but we can try it. I mean, like, you got to go watch this, but here's just a moment or two of it. Inside the park, home run. Talking. Yeah. Talking. Yeah. No. Ball game. No. You're wrong. Not even close. Inside. Say it again. Inside. It's done. It's done. Why are you screaming so loud? I can't tell what's the clue and what's not. Inside the park, home run. Inside. It's on. Yeah, no. Inside. It's time. Inside. Oh it's time. Stop screaming. <laughs> Cal's just getting more and more frustrated with him. And so finally, like two minutes into this whole thing, he finally gets it right. And he's like, all right, let's go. Like he nailed it on the first shot. It's great. And when you know some of the, you know, the, the chemistry and the behind the scenes of these two guys that used to live together. And so, you know, how hard it sounds like Cal is on Logan just crushes him all the time. Look, it's a good thing. Is that going to be enough to get them to the World Series? No, of course not. We've seen plenty of teams with good chemistry. But first of all, legitimately laugh out loud funny, watching a great idea by the Mariners to come up with something like that. And then um, just getting an opportunity to build on the relationships where they already feel comfortable. They don't need to go through that process of getting to know each other. They already know each other. They're they're now, you know, we talk. Remember, we talked speed of trust at some point. This is this uh, management thing that we went through years ago when I was in management here. But the idea of the speed of trust, this is book this guy wrote, is that once everybody trusts each other, then you don't have to worry about that anymore. And things can happen a lot quicker because you believe in the person's intentions. You know where they're going. You trust them to do their job. You don't have to monitor it. There's a lot more time that you can spend just getting stuff done. And I think the Mariners are in that spot. They're in the trust tree. Great. But what does that mean for them? It means they can go focus on other stuff. They don't have to worry about it. So that's good. Uh, I talked a lot about Kelnick again, X factor and just sort of his confused soul, et cetera. But the last thing I, I guess I just wanted to talk through is just the raw stuff of this team, the raw stuff. It's ridiculous. Like I, you know, every day Shannon, et cetera, are going to be sitting there. Shannon's going to join us in about an hour. And tweet through like, okay, here's who's going to be pitching today. Here's who's on the list. Here's who's still throwing a bullpen. Here's who's on a backfield, et cetera. And there were times where, you know, I remember being down there like, where do I go? Who do I eat? Who do I really have to see? Who's got crazy talent? Everybody now. (laughs) I mean, like, which field? You want to go watch George Kirby pumping 100 miles an hour fastballs at somebody? Do you want to go watch Julio hit? Do you want to go watch Suarez? And his ridiculous bat and what he's done. Do you want to go watch Harry Ford, young catcher, sort of 20 years old, right? Who's got an unbelievable future ahead of him. Do you want to go watch Matt Brash and what might be the best pitch in Major League history, at least according to the dude from Driveline and Jerry DePoto didn't shy away from it? Do you want to go watch Logan Gilbert and his funky arm angles and figure out exactly what he's working on? Do you want to go see 103 miles an hour from Munoz? Like, hey, wherever (laughs) you decide to go, it should be pretty interesting. Do you want to go look and get a first glimpse of Teoscar Hernandez, who's built like an NFL safety? 
Or do you want to go see the new guy and Colton Wong and see what that like? There's legit stuff to be excited about all the way around on this team. And not all of them are even the, you know, the, 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 the steadfast fixtures that, you know, you can count on. So, yeah, I, I, I am pumped about baseball season. I am pumped about this Mariner team. And I hope anyway, that some of the people that were frustrated, disappointed, I don't know what the right word for it is with this off season, Hopefully you're able to get over that as you start digging into the actual part of the season where we all get to find out who was right, who was wrong, et cetera. Right. Hopefully you're not going to be rooting against them because you wanted them to do it your way. Hopefully you're just rooting for them because I think it's going to be a good team. Honestly, I do. And I think that that moment in in March and April, as everybody has hope as there's as, as there's no reason not to be excited Oh man, that that's great. I the, definitely don't think those people are rooting against the. T- I think it's their passion for the fact that this team got so much closer than they have in anyone's yeah. recent memory. That just makes them think like, "Come on, let's go all in," and they feel like that didn't quite. happen. I think there's some of that, but I also think that some of it is do it my way, or you're not doing it the right way. And I, again, I, if you want to question the Mariners' decisions, I think that's a totally fair thing to do. That's part of the that's literally why sports radio exists for us to debate decisions made by the players, the coaches, the teams, the GMs, the organizations, et cetera. Great. But if you're questioning the motives, no, I think at that point you are kind of on the wrong side of that. And I, I, I have no question about the motives. I think they're trying to build a consistent winning product year in, year out. And I think they're going about doing it the right way. And I can't wait to get down there on Monday and actually see this thing in action. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Uh, it's reporting day for the full squad today in Peoria. I don't know who's left. I mean, pitchers and catchers are already there. WBC players are already there. Lots of other players got there early, so not a ton more left to arrive. But it's another step along the way and another good chance to see this whole team as a unit. They did start to set the rotation for the start of games later this week. Marco Gonzalez starts on Saturday. That will be game one. Matt Brash is going to pitch in that game as well. We'll be there on Tuesday for Luis Castillo. That's pretty exciting. And then Logan Gilbert, George Kirby are not going to pitch at least to start, which makes sense. Trying to keep those guys on as much of a pitch count as possible and try to spare their arms as much as they can. Tell you, when I look at this group, I just see that it's intact. Right. They're basically the same group that they were a year ago. And I know it's been a heavy focus for people on the downside of not making any huge additions this offseason. But the upside of that is consistency. The upside of that is bringing back a group that already knows each other and that who can build on a foundation rather than needing to establish it from scratch. I think that's a good sign for this Mariner team. They're also built around some real talent, as Scott Service knows. People look at our team and, and how we're built, and we're built around pitching and defense, but we got some guys in the lineup that, that can do damage. They're young. I think that that's one thing that goes under the radar a little bit for us is we're still a very young team. You look at some of the teams that certainly they, they've got you know, guys with, with more experience, but they're getting longer in the tooth, and when you get older, you have a tendency to have, be more susceptible to injury and, and things like that. So... Hopefully that plays to our advantage as these guys, you know, mature and understand who they are and and just get more consistent. You know, I think that's going to lead to more stability throughout our season. 
which is huge. Stability. I like that word. I think it's one that I'm going to keep coming back to. It's something that's been missing from this organization for the last 20 years, and it should be an advantage of Jerry Depoto, Scott Service, and most of this roster returning in 2023. Here's the second thing you need to know. Well, you probably won't know it, but the franchise tag window is open as of today. I don't know if you can feel the draft or what. Um, I don't think anybody is going to use it. Certainly not before the March 8th deadline. I mean, that's sort of how the tag works in the NFL. But yes, Gino is a possibility, and that will be a conversation over the course of the next few weeks. Seahawks, what do they need? Defensive line help. Uh, you know, I keep coming back to that, and I know we all do. Fortunately, I don't know how much competition they're going to have for those who are available. According to The Athletic, they ranked each team's top needs, and the Seahawks were one of only three that needed defensive line the most. The other two were Kansas City and Cleveland. Now, that doesn't mean that that's the truth. That doesn't mean that the other teams don't want good defensive linemen, but hopefully it loosens that market a little bit, similar to what happened after the 2012 season when they were able to add both Cleveland Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett because there were so many pass rushers on the market that offseason. So, look, I, I'd like to see major changes on the D-line. I said this earlier. I want to see new free agents. I want to see new draft picks. I want to see trades. I want it all because the only two guys that I would guarantee a spot from last year's defensive line, and I'll include the edge guys in that, are Boye Mafe and Chena Nuoso. That's it. Maybe there's room for Puna, depending on how it works. Maybe there's going to be room for Al Woods. Maybe there's room for for Shelby Harris if he restructures or whatever. But other than those guys, Daryl Taylor, maybe he's trade bait. I don't know. The only two guys I would guarantee a spot for would be those two, Mafe and Nuoso and everybody else. Going to have to figure out exactly if they fit before I figure out where they fit. Coaching changes continue. Seahawks uh, go back to the Rams to find their quarterback coach. It'll be Greg Olson, who worked with Shane Waldron while he was there. Uh, They also lose defensive assistant Aaron Curry, who'd been here the last few years as a coach. He's going to become the linebackers coach in Pittsburgh. And let's congratulate DK Metcalf. Uh, He won the NBA All-Star Celebrity MVP. DK Metcalf, come on up here and receive your award. That's heavy, right? Yeah, that'd be heavy. Uh, a 20-10 <laughs> performance and just athleticism throughout with all of your dunks. What does it feel like to be named MVP? Uh, I mean, it feels great. I ain't never thought I was going to win MVP. I just can't hit a, you know, hoop around, but... No, it feels great. I thank y'all. I just came here to be the only guy throwing down dunks. Come on. He expected to win MVP, and he did. Here's the third thing you need to know. Uh, up and down weekend for the Kraken and that it was up and then it was down. Played one of their best games of the year Friday. Beat Detroit, who had come in pretty hot. Eberle had two goals. Beneers had a heck of a night on Friday. And then what an absolute egg they laid yesterday in San Jose. They lose 4 nothing to a not very good team. Hopefully that was just sort of a trap game, right, in between the Detroit game and then with Boston coming to town on Thursday. Maybe they're gearing up for that. Let's hope. Uh, one thing did become clear, though. Phil Grubauer is now the number one goalie again. He was great in his last few starts. Really, he's been at his best for the last month or so, but that was as good as I can remember him over the course of the last two games. So good sign for their future. Uh, It was a really good golf tournament this weekend at Riviera as well. John Rahm ends up outlasting Max Homa for the win. Was that the big news? No. I think Tiger Woods, whenever he plays, makes the big news. He did walk all four rounds of a pro golf tournament for the first time in ages, and he was good. He was a little rusty. He was a little inconsistent, but all around, he was impressive. It was progress, but it's obviously I 
didn't win. Uh, my, my streak continues here at Riff. Uh, so, no, I, I, I felt like I, I, the first couple of days, I, I left certainly a lot of shots out there with some putts, um, for, especially Friday when I was blocking everything. Yesterday was better. Um, still wish I could have gotten within a, a touch of the leaders, but you know, today they're, they're running away with it. So um, even with a good round yesterday, I, would, I wouldn't have been in touch today. But overall, um, it's a huge success for our foundation and for um, everyone here involved. He sounded like he was in a good place, he even talked about how he does plan to play in those four majors. But that other than that, I think his appearances will be sporadic as uh, it's a little challenging for him physically. All right, there you go. That is everything you need to know. It, I mean, man, he did look good, I got to say, watching Tiger at times. And I'm not a big Tiger Woods fan and, you know, all of it was some controversy going on. I think fair controversy based on what he did with Justin Thomas. I thought it was inappropriate. You know, I, I don't think he's going to, you know, he's done worse. I think we could say at this point about Tiger Woods. But, you know, it doesn't show that he's learned much from the problems that he's had. Honestly, as a woman, I'm just like. I don't even know that I'm offended. I just think it's really not even that funny. It's really immature. Like, how old are you? Right. There is an element of that. <laughs> and also just like, come on, man. Like, especially right now as the LPGA and women's sports in general are doing incredibly well, better and better. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I like that. I get what he's trying to say. I understand the joke. I don't think he thought like in, in his mind. I don't think he thought of it that way. But I think it makes sense to to think that everyone else is. And you know what? If you if you if you really thought it was okay, you wouldn't have tried to hide it. Do you know what I mean? If you really thought it was okay, you would have done it out in the open. But you knew that it wasn't. You tried to do it surreptitiously, and then you got caught. So I just I thought it was pretty lame, and his apology stunk too. Like that's not an apology. That's a I don't want to talk about this anymore. Anyway, all right. Coming up next, as I said, Brady Henderson's going to join us in about twenty minutes. He wrote about Drew Locke this weekend. What are the chances we see Drew Locke back in a Seahawks uniform? We will ask him that after I told you I had funny sound. Right, we played the funny video of Logan Gilbert and Cal Raleigh. It's not as funny as this sound that I'm going to play you next from one of our great rivals. That's coming up. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710. You're listening to Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. All right, I got to play this sound. <laughs> it is bizarre. This dude is weird. Like straight up absolute weirdo. Remember when, uh, was it Ben McAdoo? Became the coach, right? And and everyone was sort of like, this guy's, like, was it the hair? Was that what he had? Was it his hair yeah. that was a thing? Like that, the, the weird mustache and the slick back hair definitely right. was a weird look. You could just tell it wasn't going to work, Nick right? Nick Sirianni caught some heat for his first press conference where, like, he just kept talking about how they were going to have a system. Right. But... It was like very, it sounded like he hadn't come up with what any of it was going to be. But yet. that obviously worked out, right? He's yeah. turned out to be one of the better coaches. And I will say like Dan Campbell got a little grief right at the front, right at the beginning, right? For how intense he was. Fighting like kneecaps. Right. And I was like, okay, heard that before. But that's worked out pretty well in Detroit. I feel like he's one of the, the better coaches in the league, at least in terms of reputation right now. Uh, and then on the other side of it, you've got like Adam Gase, right? We're right at the start. People are like, dude, this guy's insane. Look at his eyes. Absolute nut job. Oh. There's no way this is going to work. There's no way whatever you have can outdo that. No, it doesn't outdo it. But I'll tell you <laughs> what. Jonathan Gannon, new coach in Arizona, is an absolute weirdo. 
absolute freaking weirdo. Last week we played you the uh, you know what's up bird gang, right? Which is definitely bizarre. But listen to him meeting Kyler Murray, and I can't even explain what he's doing here. Let's go, man. Let's go. Can't wait, man. Can't wait. I was talking about you, bro. Everything I said. Let's go. Oh, man. They said, why do you want to take this job? Well, not many open jobs have a franchise quarterback. That's why. (laughs) Hold on. Here's here's a little bit more. Hey. What's up, man? How you doing? Good. Good. Shots, explosives, explosives. You can run. Hey, what? That's the one, man. Like we're gonna be bombing it. What? (laughs) You're an NFL football coach, for God's sakes. What? You can't make sound effects like that with Kyler Murray. Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? Good. Good. Look, I'm going to make a dated reference because I can't help it. I'm almost 45 years old. You ever see uh, uh, Groundhog Day? They hired Needle Nose Ned. Ned the Head? Like, that's what he sounds like. I know that they had like the swaggy coach that does like the GQ photo shoot in his mansion in his loafers before, and that didn't work out. No kidding. Well, Maybe just, the nerdy guy will work. Hi, that's not even nerdy. He's literally, he's Ned the Head Ryerson. Needle nose Ned. Needle nose Ned. Right? I'm glad David knows who that is. Watch that step. It's, it's a, a doozy. doozy. <laughs> I don't know what's Explosives. happening. Explosives, you can run. Hey, Calvin, how you doing, man? Good to meet you. Yeah, yeah thank you, man. Thank you. Good player. Good player. I know it. I know it. Yeah. How you doing, bro? Good to see you, man. Good to see you. How you doing? Good. Will, nice, to nice to meet you. Will, right? Yeah. Hernandez. Hernandez. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Big old guard. That's right. I Big like old it. guard. Good. What's up? That's from Wesley. Nice, nice to see meet you. you. Yeah. 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 What's up, James? Good to meet you, man. Good to meet you. Thank you for the shout, dude. I appreciate it, man. Okay. All right. Pew, pew. <laughs> Pew, pew. That is strange, man. So he took that whole weird bird gang vibe and just like took it to a whole nother level. So look, a couple things. One, how can that possibly work? How can that possibly work with NFL men? How is that possibly going to happen? I mean, it worked pretty well with the Eagles defense this last year. Uh, kind of, although he got a lot of grief there, too, my, is my understanding. Well, is everyone was like, yeah, they succeeded despite him at times this year. Look, no one, I swear, no one is more open to new and different styles as a head coach than me. I am always open-minded to new head coaches. Mark Tressman, I thought it was going to work. It didn't. I was wrong. But I was super open-minded. They hired a guy from Canada. What a great idea. Go in a new direction. Get some new ideas. <laughs> Didn't work. But I was Bears? there for it. Bears. Yeah. Well, I mean, you got to blame Jay Cutler for some of that, too. I do. But I, I, was, <laughs> I was there saying Mark Tressman's going to work out. When Sean McVay was hired and he was young and everyone said, this is never going to work, I was here right in this exact seat and said, eh. I was there when they hired Theo Epstein and said he was too young. It worked out pretty darn well. If you can rise to that level at that age, the chances are you're special. And it turns out Sean McVay was. I, I'm willing to be open-minded about that. Jeff Saturday, a couple of months ago, everyone said, there's no way this can work. And I said, well, it's unfair, but it might work. 
It didn't. I was wrong about that one as well. So I'm not telling you I've got a good track record. (laughs) This is not an excuse for me to tell you how right I am about all these guys working. Just to say that I am generally pretty open-minded about it. This can't work. This seems completely just, just completely ill-fated from the start. The Michael Scott of head coaching. I've heard people say that. I'm not an office fan, so I I can't make that reference because I don't really know what that means. Just like a bumbling idiot. Also kind of feels like a, like, youth group leader. Like, he's (laughs) that, like, the nice youth group leader who has the, like, affliction t-shirt and then the jeans that have the pedazzle. Just trying too hard. It sounds like an SNL sketch, honestly. That's that was my reaction when I found like I saw this on the internet because there's video associated with this of him meeting Kyler Murray. I saw the pew pew thing and was like, <laughs> "Is that real?" Like I legitimately thought it wasn't real because it was from some you know random person on Twitter, and I had to like spend 15 minutes tracking down like the the beginning of it just to make sure this wasn't some sketch. Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? Good. 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 Shots, explosives, explosives, you can run. If maybe he had said the shots and explosives part first, (laughs) then it might have made sense, the sound effects. But doing the sound effects first is so weird. So, all right. The 360 is disappointed. In what? They said you built that up way too much. It was weird, but not that weird. Oh, dude, it's that weird. Watch it. (laughs) You got to watch the video. Trust me, it's that weird. So here, here's why this is real. I'm going to give you two reasons why I'm talking about this and spending more than like two minutes on it. One, I love making fun of one of the lamest franchises in the NFL, and that is the Cardinals, and this is a good opportunity. Of course, of the 32 teams in football, the Cardinals would hire this guy. Of course they would. Absolute disaster of an organization. Cardinals and Angels. And how funny is it that right now, the two people leading those two teams, head coach and manager, are both complete bumpkins. It's awesome. Neither guy seems to be qualified for the job at all, which is just, I love it. So Cardinals and Angels have some similarities, some differences, but both of them are jokes of an organization. So I'm loving this this out part of it for the for the Cardinals. But more importantly, Remember last year when we debated which was harder to find, a good quarterback or a good coach? Right around this time, trying to figure out what was going to happen with Pete and Russ and Jody Allen was meeting, right, with with Pete and John and trying to figure out. It was right around now that they had their big meeting to figure out the future. And we were having this debate. Which is more important, coach or quarterback? Oh, well, Brady just won without Belichick. So obviously the quarterback is more important, right? Remember that conversation? And which is harder to find? Well, it's got to be a quarterback. Nothing's harder to find than a franchise quarterback, right? Well, fast forward a year to today, and I think that that conversation is different. I wouldn't say it's turned 180 degrees. I'm not saying that last year we knew it was the the quarterback, and now we know it's the coach. No, of course not. Franchise quarterbacks, pretty darn hard to find, right? There's maybe a few of them in the NFL. That's it. Right. Patrick Mahomes, for sure. Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, right, right now are, are probably. Well, and Jonathan Giddens lying about Kyler Murray being one. He's not even close. <laughs> Kyler Murray, to me, is in like maybe not even in the top 30. I think that guy stinks. He's a possible franchise wrecker at this point with his attitude. No, he's not. a. He is a franchise wrecker. Let's take <laughs> possible out of it. He's not accurate. He gets hurt all the time. And he doesn't seem to have the right attitude to lead an organization. There's nothing about Kyler Murray that would excite me if I were Jonathan Gannon. But whatever. None of that is here nor there. 
which is hard. The, the answer right now to which is harder to find a good coach or a good quarterback is both. Both are really freaking hard to find. There were some good coaches hired last year, which is good. I, I was glad to see that some of those guys have had some success. But this idea that you could just move on from Pete Carroll because you had the quarterback, I think we saw very clearly when he went to Denver just how bad that coach completely wrecked that season, and Russell didn't help it because he's not a coach. He's a quarterback. He wanted to be a coach. He thought that was part of his skill set. He thought he could do everybody's job for him. But, no, he turns out just a just a quarterback. So, I don't know. I, I found myself thinking that as I was uh, watching the complete weirdo, Jonathan Gannon, doing his thing in, uh, in, in, in Arizona. We're pretty lucky, right? We're, we're pretty lucky that Pete Carroll is here. Now, he's not perfect, and we're going to spend some time tomorrow talking through a theory on Pete Carroll. Uh, Maura found some great sound. What is that from? The, uh, I, am, the I Am Athlete podcast. I Am Athlete. I want to say I Am Legend. I Am Athlete. <laughs> It's the I Am Athlete podcast, which is Brandon Marshall's, right? Who was here for a cup of coffee. He was a disaster, by the way, when he was here. He dropped like six passes. Like, he couldn't catch. He was just done. I mean, it was sort of the end of the road for him. But uh, it's Brandon Marshall and Marshawn Lynch. And is there a third person uh, on there? This week, it's Marshawn Lynch and Lendell White. He oh, Lendell White. rotating host. Um, Pac-Man Jones was on this one as a host. Oh, great. Yeah. Uh, well, talk about people that I don't uh, respect at all. Pac-Man Jones might be number one on that list. But all right. Uh, the conversation between Marshawn and Lendale White and and Brandon Marshall, three guys who all played for Pete and three guys who all saw it kind of end not in a great way with Pete, right? Lendale White famously was late for a meeting for a season here. He played for Pete at USC. Pete cut him. See you later. And it was sort of a, oh, Pete's in charge moment, right? Marshawn Lynch, eventually things got kind of ugly at the end. And certainly he goes back to what happened at the, at the goal line in the Super Bowl, right? And Marshawn came back and they mended fences, right? And he's around now doing his Marshawn thing. But I think that ended in a, in a tough way the first time. And it sounds like for whatever reason, Brandon Marshall was upset. I don't know why he was terrible. While they he was used here, the phrase uh, to Marshawn, you finessed Pete, Pete finessed us. Ah, well, I don't know what that means I, yeah. from from Brandon Marshall. They both, the, there was no finesse in the way the ball was clanging off his hands while he was here. But again, that's neither here nor there and not important. It, it, it does sort of bring up and I'll play you the sound tomorrow. We're going to kind of dig into that in a little bit more depth tomorrow. But, you know, there is an element of Pete where I, I think he does work better with young players. That doesn't mean he can't work with older players, but I do think Pete will eventually kind of, you know, wear thin. I get it. He's not alone. I'm sure, you know, my wife would tell you that my act wears thin. I'm sure people who've been listening to this show for a long time would say the same thing. Pete's not alone, but I, I, I do think that he works best with young players. He works best with new players and I think there's been enough evidence of that over the course of his tenure here that now we can start to say it with some degree of certainty. And I'm going to talk to Brady about this coming up here in about five minutes through Blue 88. He's going to fill in for Brock today, Brady Henderson. But, you know, I, I think that's one of the great things about where the Seahawks are at right now. They are back in that comfort zone. They are back in the new player category. They are back in the playing young guys and allowing Pete to bring the most out of them. There aren't a lot of folks on this team anymore that have been here a long time. I mean, who, who's who's the Tyler Lockett? That's about it. 
Well, in a and Tyler where, seems like he can put up with anything. In a league where careers are so short, that's not the worst thing that you can say about a coach is that he's good with young people, but maybe the message gets stale as guys get older. And I do think as much as guys might say that, like, oh, once I was a veteran, his message got stale. I think we've seen some guys that have left and then realized the grass isn't green. Oh, no, they find out later that they've made a huge mistake. Yeah. But it doesn't change the fact that while they're here, it tends to sort of that 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 experience tends to be too much and it's time for them to move on. But, hey, good. If that's the if that's what we are able to learn from the last, you know, six years or so, sort of the post 2014 signings, et cetera, where they they kept Richard Sherman and they kept Marshawn Lynch and they paid those guys again and it didn't work. OK, great. Now we know. So let's not make the mistake again. Let's make sure that there are as many new and young players here as possible. You got to have some level of continuity. Let You know, you can't go crazy with it. But I think that's an understandable uh, sort of piece of information. And it's not easy to find that stuff. They're going to learn all sorts of stuff about Jonathan Gannon in Arizona. Some of it might be good, but based on what we've seen so far, a lot of it isn't going to be. And it's going to take learning all of those mistakes over the course of the first few years. Like it's going to be more than one year, whatever. But you get my point. We're there with Pete. And I think that's a pretty good spot to be. Let's do a little Blue 88. This is Brock and Sox Blue 88. Blue 88! Blue 88! We take you to the field as Brock Heward breaks down three football questions as only he can. Now here's your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. On our friend Brady Henderson filling in for Brock today. Good morning, Brady. How we doing? Morning, Michael. I'm great. How are you? I'm doing excellent. I uh, saw you writing about Drew Locke over the weekend, so we'll start there. Question number one, is Drew Locke coming back to play for the Seahawks this year? I, I think it's a coin flip. And I you know, I pulled a couple, actually four uh, different agents around the NFL, guys, whose opinion I trust, to, to get a sense of what kind of market they think he's going to have. And the opinions were pretty split. A couple of them thought he's going to get – not much more than the minimum, uh, and the other two thought that he was going to get more than that. One of them said maybe somewhere around $3 million. I, I tend to think that he's going to have a, a bigger market than some people realize because he's so young, only 26. He's got a lot of talent, uh, some starting experience, albeit not great results, but um, I think he could get somewhere in the neighborhood of 5 maybe even $6 million. And if it's that expensive, I don't think the Seahawks – are going to pay that much, assuming they're already re-signing Geno Smith. Now, if, if that doesn't work out and they, and they somehow let Geno Smith walk, then I think Locke is back and he's their starter. But this is in a world where Geno Smith is their starter. They'd love to have him back. Uh, I think they'd love to have him back at 2 $3 million if it's 5 6 I just don't think they can afford both of those guys at is, that cost. Is there any world in which they signed Drew Locke before Geno Smith? I, they would maybe try, but if I'm Locke, I'm, I'm waiting to make sure that deal gets done because I want to make sure, you know, Seattle would be, if, if Geno's gone, then Seattle is the ideal spot for Locke playing in an offense that he knows playing uh, for an organization that he likes. So may, they might try, but if I'm Locke, I'm going to wait to make sure that that deal's done before I sign elsewhere. All right, question number two. I'm just talking through this and, and going to spend more time on it tomorrow, but when you think of Pete Carroll... How important is it for him to have young and newer players around? I think no more important than any other coach. And I imagine what you're getting at is the idea that we heard from a few players a few years ago, Richard Sherman, Michael Bennett, about how 
you know, the message gets stale or whatever. I mean, I, I have not heard that from any veteran player. I haven't even heard a whiff of that from any veteran player since then. And I think that that thought was that had as much to do with the players themselves and the situation. Remember, that was sort of at the height of the, you know, anti-Russell sentiment in the locker room and all the Super Bowl fallout. And I think that had as much to do with the players themselves just being kind of, you know, hard-headed guys uh, and being there for a long time as it did with, with Carroll's message. I think as it relates to the here and now with this team, they're going to need some veteran guys. And as much as we want to talk about them just totally revamping, you know, the front seven of their defense and getting, you know, spending all, you know, five of their early round picks, I don't think that's feasible because I just don't think you can rely on that many young guys. And so uh, I think they're going to have to sprinkle some veterans in there. And yeah, I mean, I, I just think that that was, that was kind of a specific situation uh, specific to a, a couple individuals. All right. Question number three. If I include the edge guys, because I know technically now they're kind of linebackers, but if we include the edge guys, so defensive ends, defensive, you know, interior linemen and and edge rushers, how many new defensive linemen will be on this roster next year? I'm going to say at least four. Now, I'm not counting guys that are free agents who are going to have to be resigned, but uh, I think at least four. And start with the outside linebackers. I think that they only need one of those guys. You basically need another starter to play opposite uh, Nuosu and, and look, Daryl Taylor, he's a great pass rusher. I think he's best in that role. You saw sort of the struggles against the run early in the season. But if you have one guy there opposite Nuosu, you still have uh, Boye, Mafe, and Taylor in those backup roles. Um, I think you need at least one defensive end and two if you don't uh, if you don't keep Shelby Harris. Now, he's got a $12 million cap hit for this coming season. He's 32 years old. That's a pretty big number, and I think that you know they would owe him nine million dollars. I think you can get similar production for less than nine million dollars. Uh, they certainly need to fill one of those other spots because you had LJ Collier playing significant snaps there. You had Puna Ford playing out of position there. Uh, if you resign, if you if you don't resign Puna, then I think you need two uh, defensive tackles. Mm-hmm. You're already going to need one because Brian Monet is not going to be ready by the start of the season, coming off a serious knee injury. Uh, and if you don't resign Puna, you're going to need another one of those guys. And the, the Puna thing, I don't know, man. I think he's going to be looking for somewhere in the neighborhood of $10 million on the open market. And I just don't know if the Seahawks are going to fork that kind of cash over. So um, the total I have is, I guess, anywhere from four to six. And, you know, the key date with Shelby Harris is March 19th. That's when he's got a $2 million roster bonus due. Those roster bonuses are put in place to force teams to make a decision as early as possible on a guy whose status might be in question as opposed to, you know, keeping him through training camp and then cutting him at the end of the summer. Uh, so you're gonna, we're going to find a resolution to the Harris situation here probably within the next couple weeks. All right, good stuff. That's Brady Henderson who joins me here for, for Blue 88. I was saying earlier that I would not guarantee a spot on this roster to more than two defensive linemen that were there last year, Nuosu and Mafe. And everyone else, I'm not saying they wouldn't be back, but there's no one else in that defensive front that I would say has to be back next year. Daryl Taylor, nine and a half sacks. I'd trade him if the in the right deal. I, I mean, like if I could trade the number twenty pick for a Max Crosby or somebody like that, yeah, I'd trade Daryl Taylor. Sure. The only people I would okay. guarantee a role to would be Nuosu and and uh, uh, and and Mafe because he's so young. Other than that, I don't think so. Yeah, okay, I see what you're saying on Taylor. You're talking about maybe including him in a trade, which I, I can see. I mean, he's young enough uh, and has the stack production 
to maybe have some pretty good value in a trade. And I think the only way you would do that is if you were, if you were doing that as part of a package to get a more complete player. Cause again, Taylor, a lot of teams would really like to have him as like their third pass rusher. Mm-hmm. Again, who doesn't really play a whole lot on early downs, but comes in and pins his ears back. I mean, I, I can't remember. I think it's 15 or so sacks in the last couple seasons for a young guy. That's pretty good. So he might have some trade value, but I, I would, I think he'd be better off as the number three guy as part of a really deep group of edge rushers. More importantly, Brady, what do we think? How, how many episodes of full swing have we watched? I think I'm five episodes in. Oh, really wow. like it so far. I uh, I could probably do without all the reminders of what a cut is and how a, a cut works. <laughs> They're really hammering that home point, yes. uh, hammering that point home. But I, I think the most interesting part so far has been uh, the Brooks Kepka episode. I think was the second one, and you really get an idea of why he jumped to live tour when he's talking about you know the, the Brooks that we were known that we're accustomed to hearing is this guy who is just oozing confidence. And here in this show, he's, he seems legitimately, yeah, scared that he might never get his game back. And and that, you know, the the morality issues of live aside, I think that idea helps explain uh, the live money grab because he seemed to think that he might never win again on tour and might not be able to actually make a living on tour again. I hope that Brooks Kepka's dermatologist did not watch that episode. Did you see the golf tan or like, it's disgusting. He is bright white, takes his shirt off bright white, except his arms and neck and face, which are fire engine red. Yeah. And as a guy who likes to golf in the summer myself, I've had some pretty horrific golf tans, but uh, nothing like that. I think that one takes the cake. That is, that was inappropriate and quite frankly, dangerous. So, all right. And he he lives in Florida and he has a pool. So you've got (laughs) to figure that you'd have enough opportunities to even that tan out over time. That's a really good point. That's a good point. Brady, thank you. Uh, Good stuff on the Seahawks. Don't forget, you can follow Brady on Twitter and uh, read him at ESPN.com. Good stuff as always, buddy. We'll talk later. All right. Thanks, my friend. All right, there you go. There's Brady Henderson. Uh, Of course, uh, used to work here, does a great, great job covering the Seahawks. All right. From Brady to Shannon Dreyer, you know what I got to find out from Shannon? Now that everybody's there, what's the vibe? What does it feel like? Was it smell like? Was it sound like? What is what is the vibe in Peoria right now? We'll find out next.